Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to the, the JP Morgan At Any Rate podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined uh, this week by Patrick Locke, who's our G10FX strategist sat in the US. I'm James Nelligan, sat in London covering uh, G10FX as well. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, Patrick, in the weekly, you, you took a look at why the cooler labor market data in the US doesn't necessarily derail our uh, US exceptionalism theme. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, so we've been sticking with this US exceptionalist theme. Uh, and if the last couple of trading sessions are any indication, uh, that's still intact. The dollar did have a bit of a wobble last week on the back of uh, the labor data you mentioned, but um, you know, probably most, most notably after the jolts, uh, which came in on the soft side. Uh, got a pretty decent yield move that weighed on the dollar after that. And then there wasn't really anything in the NFTs on Friday that were particularly hot. Um, you know, really the unemployment rate and the wages were actually soft surprises. Uh, so a bit of a immediate tactical dollar weakening there too, uh, at least before the ISM uh, came out later in the morning. Um, you know, that said, where I come out from last week's data is that um, with the Fed basically totally unwilling to signal any easing anytime soon, uh, you know, some cooling in the labor market data isn't that negative for the dollar. Um, and when taken in the context of strong U.S. data otherwise, and plenty of issues, you know, elsewhere in the world that we've been discussing, uh, we still come back to the fact that this looks like a pretty strong dollar environment. Uh, there's a continued downdraft in euro momentum, I think, um, as well. That was kind of evident across the board last week. Um, IFO and confidence numbers were soft after the PMIs. Uh, the minutes were broadly broadly dovish. And so, you know, in that respect, it's not entirely surprising to see Euro back like on the 107.50 handle this morning. Uh, the China case is interesting too. You know, we've been bearish there for a while, uh, though it's certainly, you know, it's felt like policymakers have stepped up the pace of sport over the last couple of weeks. Um, we've also been noticing, you know, how strong the fixings just continue to come in. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's structural weakness there and it's not clear to me at this point, whether the policy responses so far uh, really are going to turn the ship around. And so in a relative sense versus the U.S., uh, you know, even despite the positioning and what's in the price at this point, uh, you know, we're still inclined to favor the dollar side there. Um, and to bring it full circle, you know, the labor market data just isn't really all that soft at the end of the day. Uh, separately, we've been upgrading, you know, our third quarter U.S. growth forecast to three and a half percent, which is above trend. Um, you know, that doesn't give the market a whole lot of flexibility to price in much eating here. Uh, so altogether, there's still a pretty dollar, uh, a dollar positive environment, uh, especially considering kind of the bearish uh, curve steeping that we've been seeing as well. We we did some empirical tests around the dollar's kind of increased sensitivity to that um, last week. Uh, the dollar does seem to be taking quite a bit of its cue from higher intermediate and long-end yields. And so that is kind of another channel of support here uh, that kind of continues to anchor the, the U.S. exceptionalism narrative. So overall, um, you know, pre still pretty convicted on on dollar strength here. But, um, you know, using China as a segue, James, um, maybe I'll turn it back to you. You've done some work recently on G10 growth exposure uh, in a China slowdown. How do you see that playing out right now? And uh, what do you think are the best ways to express that? Uh, we, we think that this, this is a theme that, the market has been complacent on for, for a while. Um, and there are there are signs that that's starting to change in, in terms of the broader macro discussion 
and and the price action, but uh, it has it's got more room to run in our view. Um, so on the on the spillover of China slowdown to G10, some of the pushback that we, that we get in our conversations is is that you know a combination of deglobalization, rerouting of supply chains, and uh, import substitution all, all mean that, that the China growth impact on on G10 isn't as strong now as it, as it once was pre-COVID. Uh, but we disagree. We think we think the spillover effects are, are large. Uh, firstly, China obviously makes up over half of, of global demand for some commodities uh, still, which which creates uh, impact for G10 on on the equity revenue side and the terms of trade side. Uh, secondly, regional Asia has now overtaken the US and Europe as as China's largest trading partner, and much of that trade is is ends up being with with Europe and the US is simply rerouted through Asia as a kind of intermediary step. Uh, so the G10 exposure is still there. It's just slightly under the surface. Um, we did some work in the, in the weekly looking at uh, corporate sales revenue exposure to EM and, uh, and Europe is, is highest at, at 20% of total revenue. Uh, so that captures some of the, the second round impact that a China slowdown will have on, on other emerging markets and, and second round impact on, on Europe from that. Up until today, Euro dollar has been, been quite sticky, really, above fair value, which we, we had at 107.50. Uh, we can see this, the conversation starting to shift, though, as you know, this, even this week, you had some prominent China commentators starting to, to write about Europe's exposure to, to a China slowdown in, in, the, in the mainstream media. Uh, when we look at the broader universes uh, and how that's priced, we, we can see that the JP Morgan equity basket, for example, so that the basket um, assigned to uh, European exposure to China uh, still still near post-COVID highs, uh, but one of the worst performers in, in the basket complex so far this week. So there, there's there's plenty of room for this theme to run in, in our view, and we, we still have a, a bearish euro-dollar forecast of uh, 105. Uh, switching back to you, Patrick, uh, just uh, is there anything you'd like to flag for this week in terms of main risks for, for markets going forward? And also, I believe you've done some work around the, the prospects and, and the read through from a, from a U.S. government shutdown, uh, which could be a theme that, that gets traction in the markets uh, quite soon. Yeah, that's right, James. Thanks. Um, yeah. And just in terms of you know, what we're watching tactically, you know, so we have the RBA overnight. Uh, we get the BOC tomorrow. BOC, I think, should be interesting since it comes at a time where growth data is starting to slow a little bit, um, or at least show more signs of softness. Uh, you know, we've been tracking kind of the quiet rise in the unemployment rate, which is up about a half percent off the lows. Uh, and then last week, um, you know, Canada printed the second quarter GDP, which contracted. Uh, I don't think a single economist in the consensus called for that. So that was a, a bit of a, down, a, a very notable downside surprise, I should say. Uh, I mean, you could honestly debate the internals of it. Final demand still grew a percent, but I think if the market had any questions about whether the BOC could surprise this week, I think that's probably been put to rest. Um, so I think probably more interesting is kind of how the market kind of tries to read through BOC prospects uh, into 2020-24 and whether you know rates markets are appropriately priced there. Um, there's no presser after the release this week. Uh, we only hear from Governor Macklem on Thursday. So it might be a little bit of a dry out process. Um, 
to glean a whole lot from them tomorrow, but nevertheless, um, you know, useful context to think about how, uh, you know, the Canadian economy is evolving and, you know, see if that has any read-throughs uh, into the U.S. as well. Um, also, tactically, I think one of the highlights for me on the data side this week, um, U.S. prints the ISM services data. Obviously, services have been top of mind for all of us, um, you know, for the better part of this year. So, um, tracking not just how manufacturing is, is evolving, but also how services, I think, that get a uh, a potentially sizable market response if it surprises in either direction. Um, so keeping an eye on that. Uh, and yes, we may have a potential shutdown coming up in the U.S. Um, government needs to pass legislation to reauthorize spending across its major federal departments by September 30th. Um, and that's, a frankly, a pretty heavy lift, uh, given that normally, traditionally, it's 12 separate bills, um, and some of Congress is still out for another week or so. Uh, so not a lot, not a lot of time to kind of negotiate and draft these things. Um, one alternative to a shutdown at the end of the month could be to pass a continuing resolution, um, which gives Congress basically a couple extra months to negotiate. But that's not guaranteed at this point either. Um, that's uh, evidenced by the fact that probabilities markets that we look at um, were recent, recently pricing still as high as 30% chance uh, of a government shutdown at the end of the month. But for FX on the whole, I don't think you know a shut down at the, at the end of the month um, really means a whole lot for the dollar. Um, one reason is that it's not linked to a debt ceiling showdown, um, which tend to be much higher stakes for markets. So I think that's one positive. Um, but at the same time, there's a new provision where if appropriations aren't fully passed by the end of this year, then we could see a broad-based 1% reduction in government spending. So I think if we get much closer to that deadline, even with a continuing resolution, uh, then that could start to trigger a little bit of, uh, you know, discomfort on the dollar side. But that's more of a November, December question, I think, more so than September. So uh, still about one quarter out. But of all of this is, you know, of course, happening in the context of the GOP debates um, having started back up. Um, we're just about a year out from the election. So I think overall politics is going to be a more visible issue uh, for our space going forward and uh, potentially as soon as next month with the shutdown. Um, no, that's kind of what I'm tracking uh, for this week and kind of over the next month, James. Um, but same thing to you, tactically, kind of what's on your radar this week. Well, I think it's it's probably worth flagging, firstly, something from, from last week. So we, you know, we may have had a, a potential shift in rhetoric from, from BOE chief economist uh, Hugh Pill, uh, whose speech uh, seemed to favor an, an earlier pause in, in rates. Um, our UK economist thinks Pill could, could even be hinting at, at a pause as early as, as the September meeting, which, which clearly isn't, isn't priced in rates markets. Um, Pill is talking about a higher for longer strategy, which is, uh, has gained popularity among, among the major central banks recently, but at a level that's clearly obviously lower than 6% for, for bank rates. So if, if that's the case, then the potential upside distribution for bank rate is, is clearly more limited. And uh, maybe that's what we've started to see uh, creeping into the, the last few weeks and, and this week um, in terms of uh, rate spreads for, for cable and euro sterling, which have settled at, at slightly narrower levels over, over recent weeks. Um, Trade-weighted sterling actually looks quite rich to those rate spreads here. And uh, fair value on, on our cable model is, is 122. So... Uh, we still have a, a bearish sterling bias. 
and uh, on data front we we get the uk labor market report next week uh it's interesting that that the SARM rule was was triggered for the uk in, in the june employment figures uh, which is historically an indicator for uh, recession um, although officially speaking the economy isn't in recession uh, right now uh, but obviously any further rise in unemployment from here we would think has to start uh, ringing alarm bells for, for the market and the BOE in terms of uh, wage growth and, and, and that could potentially narrow rate spreads further. Uh, growth surveys have been more mixed. We got the very weak uh, the PMIs but uh, that was followed by, by stronger business confidence. Uh, but overall we think the theme is, is slowly tracking of uh, the transmission of tighter policy being in play and uh, we, we like our bearish uh, sterling bias here, particularly um, against Swiss and uh, dollars. But that's all uh, from us this week. Thank you for, for listening. This communication is provided for, for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan, Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on September 5th, 2023.